0: Um, Thank you guys uh, for coming to RUF. It's really good to see you. Uh, My name is Chris, if I don't know you. um, If I don't know you, that means that you probably are a visitor or this is one of your first times here. And if that's you, uh, we're really thrilled that you're here. And welcome to RUF. Please let uh, me or someone that looks like they know what they're doing know how we can um, serve you, how we can make you uh, feel welcome here in this place. Um, This is a group of students that are um, seeking to learn about Jesus and the Bible together, and it's not uh, a group of people that have it all figured out, so if you're trying to figure it out, and you're like, yes, I'm a religious person, I'm a Christian, or I'm not, or I'm not sure, we're really, really happy that you're here, and really do hope that you'll get um, plugged in here. I, I don't probably say enough, but if you want to come to RUF and you're figuring it all out, and then you just want to listen and leave, like that, that's, you're more than welcome to do that. We're happy that you're here. But um, to really begin to dig into some of this stuff and really try to make sense of who Jesus is and what God's grace is all about, you got to do that in the community. So um, make friends. Um, if, you, if you belong here and you've been here for a while, make friends with people that look like they might not. Anyway, we're happy that you're here. Um, this semester, we're going through the Apostles' Creed, which is this ancient belief statement of the Christian faith. It's sort of like a simplified, like sort of the, the, the gospel uh, 101, and um, Tonight, we get to a part in the confession where we said that we believe in the forgiveness of sins. And uh, so we're going to be in Psalm 51. So if you have a handout, you can look at it on there. Or you can turn there in a Bible if you have one. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, we have some for free on the back table. You can just grab it. There's also some books there that you can check out. Uh, and it's kind of like a very, very tiny library. Um, not because the books are tiny, but because there's a small amount of them. Um, one of my favorite things about sororities is... Um, among many things um, is, and I say that in a totally non-ironic way, um, is Big Littles, um, is, like, there, is there anything, like, do fraternities have, like, the equivalent of, like, a Big Little program? They do? Yes. Is it called Big Little? What's it called? Yes. yes? Okay. Well, anyway, all I care about is sororities in this conversation. Um, so in case you don't know, it, it's like, kind of like a big sister, little sister. You know, uh, someone's new. They're new to the sorority. They're kind of young and fresh-faced. And they have a, an older uh, sister in the sorority that, that takes them under their wing and is kind of their mentor. Shows them, you know, all the ways of the sorority, all the secret handshakes that I assume happen. Um, the way that you put your hands together and form something bigger. And... Um, and really, the, the, big, the big is supposed to be like a mentor, you know, someone to look up to, someone to show you the way. Um, in the Old Testament, um, if there was a big in the Old Testament, uh, it would be David. David is sort of like the example, the mentor, like the one that like when you were a little, when you were like a little Jewish kid growing up in Israel, they're like, you want to be like David. Okay, David's the man. David was the king of Israel. Um, he's a guy that the Bible says is a man after God's own heart. That's like God's heart, and then David is right there next to it. And so, um, I want to read... Okay, if you're looking at the, at the passage, this is, just, this is for free. Um, when a psalm says, like, to the choir master, a psalm of David, like this one does, that's actually part of the text. Like, that's part of, like, in the Hebrew and everything It comes across. It's not just something that's added there. Um, but the, the, the intro to this one says, to the choir master, a psalm of David... When Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, uh, Bathsheba is a person, by the way, so you got to really appreciate the rawness of the Bible. Um, uh, let's play. Okay, I got to give you some context to what this psalm is all about. A psalm is a song that David wrote. This song, so I want to play a little game called Game of Thrones plotline or Bible story, which you can play a lot actually in the Old Testament. Um, because it reads, if you read Judges or any of the historical books, it's very much like, wow, this is some like hardcore stuff. Um, so, okay, Game of Thrones plotline or Bible story. Uh, King of Nation is supposed to be away at war. It's the time of the year when all the kings go away to war. And he's not. He's at home. He's abdicated his responsibility to be out leading his people into battle. And he's back at home, right? And he's kicking in the temple. And as he's out walking around surveying the landscape, he spies a very beautiful woman that's bathing on top of a building, okay? And um, so as anyone that would be called a man after God's own heart would do, he has someone go get the woman, bring her back, and then he proceeds to have sex with her. And, um, and she's, she's married. He's also married to several women, but that's another uh, sermon. And um <laughs> So, he sleeps with this woman, I mean, basically, I mean, it's not funny at all, I mean, it basically uh, amounts to assault, right? Because, I mean, how is this this woman going to say no? He's the king. So, um, just when he thought maybe he had gotten away with it, he uh, finds out that she's pregnant, okay? This would be the time to fess up to the problem, but instead what he does is he has her husband, whose name is Uriah. Her name's Bathsheba. His name's Uriah. He's out in battle. He's actually out fighting. And not only is he a soldier, he's one of the best, most loyal soldiers to David that there is. There was a time when David was on the run and he had nobody, and Uriah was one of those guys that stuck with him the whole time. This is her wife, right? So it's awkward. Uh, this, is, this is Bathsheba's wife, the woman that he is basically just assaulted. Husband. <laughs> You guys all know what I'm saying, so why correct me, okay? <laughs> Catch me on technicality. Um, that's not how the gospel works. Um, so anyway, so he has her husband brought back, and he says, oh, what I'll do is that I'll get him to sleep with her, and then he'll think it's his kid, you know? Yeah. that's just wrap that up. And um, he won't do it, because he's actually a good man. He's like, I'm not going to go and, like, be with the comfort of my wife in my home while my brothers are out fighting, so no. Then David tries to get him drunk, so he'll do it. And he doesn't do it. So David goes, okay, all I can do now as a man after God's own heart is send this guy back to battle and have him put on the front line so that he will be killed. So I have basically assaulted his wife, impregnated her, and then killed the husband. And then after he's dead, he takes her to be one of his many wives. The amazing thing about this story is that he at this point and for several months afterwards seems to have no conviction that he's done something wrong. Like he's just living his normal life until the guy named Nathan, who's a prophet, who loved David enough to come and speak and say something real to him, basically comes and tells him a story. And he's like, look, there was a guy with one lamb. He loved it like his child. And there was a rich guy who had hundreds of sheep. And when, a, when, a, when a, uh, someone came to visit the rich guy, he took that guy's one lamb and then he killed it and served it to the other guy. And David's all totally pissed off. And he's like, this guy deserves to die. And Nathan says, you're that man. Okay, and at that moment, David comes heavily under the conviction of sin, and he writes this song for everyone in Israel to sing. Okay, so let's read it. This Psalm 51, um, listen, this is God's word. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words, and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burn offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. It's the word of the Lord. Let's ask God's blessing. Father, we do ask that you would come and be with us by your spirit, that you would reveal um, wonderful things in your word to us, not because your word needs to be changed in some way for us to understand it, but because we need to be changed. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Um, who you are uh, and what it means that you forgive sins. In Jesus' name, amen. So that's David's story. Um, I think that if you were in a sorority and you found out that your big was a you know, sort of adulterer and murderer, you would maybe not feel like this was the person that you wanted to be mentoring you um, in your life. This was maybe not the person that you would say, I want to pattern my life after this person. But... David is an example to us, not of how to do everything right and be on your best behavior all the time and and never make a mistake. Clearly, he has mistakes. He has huge sins. David is an example to us of what happens to you when you believe that God can forgive your sin. David shows us that even in huge sin, God's love and his mercy lead us to freedom. And forgiveness So I want to look at three things in this passage: the reality of guilt, um, the response of repentance and the freedom of forgiveness. So the reality of guilt. Um, David's guilt you know he's coming to God, this is a confession. He's confessing his sin to God, and his guilt complicated his relationship with God. If you haven't realized this yet, you soon will that uh, guilt always complicates any relationship that you're in. Okay, some of you guys know this from your parents. Your parents have done something stupid. Um, they've committed some sin, whatever it might be. And instead of just sort of coming clean with you and asking your forgiveness, they're either cold toward you and just kind of want to just like, they're just kind of shut you off. Or they just like throw gifts and goodies and presents at you all the time and like, see, I'm great, right? Your relationship with your parent becomes really um, complicated. Or those of you that are dating, um, Maybe (laughs) you know a sense that as you continue to get physical, more and more physical, does your relationship become less complicated or (laughs) incredibly more complicated? When you have a friend and then you hook up with them, that friendship somehow isn't quite so easy anymore. It's incredibly complicated. Um, Guilt complicates relationship and David's sin has complicated his relationship with God, so he's coming to God and confessing. But if you were paying attention, and you notice there in verse 4 when he says, against you, you only have I sinned. Um, If you were paying attention, maybe a red flag came up. Because last I checked, David basically sexually assaulted a girl and then killed her husband. Um, Pretty sure he sinned against someone other than God, right? I would think that the, the other wronged parties in the situation would be going, uh, you know, what about me? Um, but what David is doing is he's recognizing in his guilt that our sin um, is not just a breaking of God's rules, not just a breaking of God's law. It's a breaking of God's heart. And even when our sin is directed toward another person, it's ultimately getting at God. Our sin is ultimately aimed at God because he's the one that we have a problem with. And really what we do to other people is collateral damage. He's not, David obviously knows he's sinned against someone else, but he's saying compared with what I've done to you, O oh God, it's as if I only sinned against you. Um, he, he's pointing that our sin is ultimately aimed at God, but David isn't just talking about this particular sin. Look what he, look what he says here. He, he's confessing his sin and look in verse five behold i was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me he's not saying that there's something wrong with sex that there's something wrong with childbearing he's saying that even before i was born when i was conceived i was in sin Um, later on he says created me a clean heart Um, he's in sin now most of us if you've thought about sin or you've Maybe even if you're not a Christian, but you have just thought about the idea of what it means to sin, um, you probably see it as like, sort of like a scoreboard, like a tally board. You know? Like, you know, like when people are in prison and they're like counting down the days, you know, they have all these tally marks on the wall. Um, you know, that like Monday, I did a lot of things I didn't like and I had a lot of marks. But then Tuesday, I was pretty good. I had less marks. But then Wednesday, is was pretty bad, and so I had, had more marks. And it's sort of tallying up. And we sort of look back at times in our lives when we had more tally marks. We feel bad about those times. And then we look at times when we had less tally marks, and we feel okay about them. But what the Bible shows us is that sin isn't just sort of some accumulating bad deeds. Sin is a state of being. The Bible says that you're either one of, in one of two things. You're either in your sin, or you're in Jesus Christ. That's it. You're in your sin in this state of being, or you're in Jesus Christ. You're in that state of being. And so, so um, Adam is talking here. Adam, David is talking here. Well, I mean, there's parallel anyway, um, uh, but you guys already knew that. Um, David's talking here about his sin and he talks about it. He says, he's saying, wash me, purge me. These are my favorite pants. And um, you would know that if you see me because literally every single day I wear these pants, seven days a week. And um, part of it is because I like them. The other part of it is because I'm just really cheap and my wife buys clothes and I wear the same clothes every day. And, um, and I'm cool with it. And, uh, but I have two stains on these pants right now. One is from the chicken fried rice that we ate last night. And um, it's on there, but, like, it's a little crusty. But like if I throw it in the washing machine, it's going to come out. Okay. The other stain I have kind of above it is last week I was changing the oil in my car because I'm a man. And, um, and that's the one car repair thing I can do. And I dripped one drip of new oil, and it like, I watched it float through the air, and it landed on my pants. Okay. The difference between those two stains is when I wash my pants, the chicken fried rice will come out. That oil is never coming out. Uh, if you've ever spilled oil on a garment, you would know you can put baby powder on it. You can rub it with a toothbrush. You can do anything you want. But at the end of the day, you're going to be buying a new pair of pants uh, because that mark is going to stay there forever. And when, what, what, what David is showing us is that when he says, create in me a clean heart. There's something even more than a deep cleaning that's needed. Something new is going to have to come. Our sin is not just something that we do. A question that I love to ask when I sit down with y'all is, do you think that you're a sinner because you sin or do you sin because you're a sinner? You guys catch that? Are you a sinner because you sin or do you sin because you are a sinner? David is showing us he sins because he is a sinner. Because he is in a state of being that is a sinner, and then out of that things come. Um, and how you answer that question of, of whether you're a sinner because you're a sin, because you sin or you sin because you're a sinner, shows me how, how seriously you deal with your sin. It's either just something I do or someone that I am. and David's showing us that it's someone that I am. Um, here's confession for me. I can tell you how I know that sin is more real than just a mistake that I make. When I was your age, I was a new Christian, and when I bowed my head to confess sin, when it was like in church, it's time to confess your sin, um, I never imagined that the first thing that would come to my mind is, I'm unkind to my children. But I am unkind to my children, I can be the worst thing going for my kids. Um, and I'm going to tell you a lesson again. This one's free when you grow up. Well, I mean, you're growing up, but when you, if you have kids, you can protect your kids from a lot of things, but you cannot protect your children from yourself. Um, your sin is going to get on them because you are a sinner. It's not behavior modification. There's something wrong with us. And that's what David is getting at. Um, so how do we respond? So that's, that's guilt. That's reality. That's something that exists. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we feel it. Um, but how do we respond to that? David responds with repentance. Um, when I read this text, uh, this is one of my favorite Psalms. When we sit down for coffee a lot of times and you guys are like, I'm struggling. We read this. I'll read this with you a lot. And, uh, what always bothers me is at the very beginning, David from the beginning says, God have mercy on me. That's how he starts. And I'm always thinking, like, that sounds a little bit presumptuous to me. Like, you came to God, you literally are a murderer, adulterer, and immediately you come to God and you said, God, have mercy on me, or be kind to me, or show me your love. And my thought is always like, um, I'm not sure David feels bad enough. I'm not sure David has shown that he really is very convicted, and he's just coming to God for some cheap grace. And if you think that when you read this, um, and I know a lot of you do think that about other people, um, then that means that you and I don't really understand God very well. The word repentance means to turn around. That's what the word actually means. So if you're like, when, when just like, hey, repent, believe in the gospel. Repent means to actually you're going in a direction that you turn around physically, do a 180, and you go in the other direction. And when you hear that, a lot of you What you hear me saying is, you do bad thing. And so repent means turn away from doing bad thing and start doing good thing. You behaved badly, so turn away from that and start behaving better. Okay, Change the way that you're acting. And that's not what repentance is. When we see repentance as, I'm doing bad thing, turn around, now go do good thing, behave better. um, We get a case of the try-harders. Okay, Coming back to those of you that have... Uh, that are that have been physical with boyfriend girlfriend or hooked up or whatever um, if, if you at all are like going like okay we shouldn't do that we should wait okay but you're struggling how has it gone for you when you have tried harder to not do that like how long does that usually last when you're like ah, we messed up again or, I mean, this could be, like, you look at porn on your computer, or you drink too much, or you did drugs again, or whatever, it is, whatever your thing is. Um, where you're just like, ah, I feel really bad, and next time I'm not going to do that again. How's that, I mean, is that working for you? Um, it literally never worked for me, and still never works for me. Um, is your commitment to try harder accomplishing what you wanted to, which is better behavior, Or is it just sinking you deeper into despair and insecurity and disappointment with yourself? Um, So we can either see repentance as uh, turning from bad behavior, turning to good behavior and trying harder. Or some of the rest of you, what you see repentance is as I need to feel bad enough. I need to get to the point where I'm just so upset with myself for sinning that my behavior changes. Um, uh, and usually how that works is, you, you know, you're struggling, we sit down, I'm like, what's going on? You're like, ah, oh, just, it's been really hard lately. And there's always, like, this assumption that it's, like, it's not going to be hard, like, it's supposed to be easy, um, which is my favorite part. And um, and I say, okay, what's going on? You're like, I'm just not feeling the Jesus thing, or I'm, I'm looking at the stuff on the computer again, or I, I, like, I drank and got just wasted again, hooked up with someone, and I'm like, okay, so what are you going to do about that? And you're like, well, I just, I'm just, I'm going to start reading my Bible more. Um, and like, I'm just like really, just really feeling it this time. Like this really, I'm just not going to do it again. Um, there's a great hymn and the name of it is escaping me right now. But the line goes, could my zeal no respite? know? could my tears forever flow all for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Repentance is not trying to change your behavior or feeling bad enough to make God forgive you for your sin. Repentance is turning away from your sin and turning to God. Okay. David is showing us that repentance means he's turned from his sin and he's turned and looked at God. And the reason why, you know, he's found the real thing is because he's immediately talking about God's mercy he immediately goes, I'm a terrible sinner. I'm turning and looking at God. You are full of grace and mercy. You are slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. You know you've got the real thing. When you turn from your sin and you look at God and you're like, he's gracious. And he's merciful to me. If you, even if you've been a Christian for your whole life, you often think that God is looking at that scoreboard. And he's going, I need you to play better. And he's just not. Regardless of whether you want him to or not, God is not primarily concerned with the things that you do or don't do. God's primarily concerned with your heart. And let me tell you something about God. Um, God's delight. I think about like things that God likes. God's delight is to cleanse people from sin, to change us, to forgive us us to create something new in us that's what god loves to do that's why the bible says god is love he loves to do that do you know why okay maybe you don't know this god can clean you everybody in this room feels icky about something about themselves God not only can cleanse you, he wants to and he loves to and he finds delight and joy in that. And he came and suffered and died because he loves that thing. And you know why Jesus can clean you? Because everything icky and dirty about yourself, even the stuff you don't know, he will take off of you and he will put it on himself and he carries it away at the cross. And that's how he can make you clean. Do you know why Jesus can create in you A clean heart. Because Jesus has a clean heart. Because he lived perfectly and never sinned. And there's not a blemish on his heart. And he says, I will give it to you. No strings attached. As a gift. When we say grace, we mean God's giving a gift that you don't deserve. Um, The door is wide open. And all that Jesus says is, just come and receive from me. Turn away from that crap and just come to me. If you're wondering whether the door is cracked, it is flung wide open. And God says, today is the day of salvation. Come unto me and rest. Um, before I was, uh, had this luxurious campus minister gig, I was um, a window cleaner. <laughs> and I was a window cleaner in Tilton Head. And uh, if you've ever been to Hilton Head, you know that they have these plantations. Um, I was going to say not the bad kind, but I really do think they kind of are still the bad kind. Um, anyway, um, but so they have these plantations, and if, even if you're a window cleaner, you have to pay to get in. kind of sucks. It's like, I'm going to go in this place, I'm going to clean this person's windows, and I have to pay $20 to get in. So it was one time I, um, I had forgotten to leave a key at this place, and I really didn't want to pay to get in. So I went to the gate, and the lady just let me in. I got lost. And I ended up driving out of the plantation. And I told this other guy, I was like, no, this lady just let me in. And, like, he called her up and, I guess, like, chewed her out. So I went back to the gate, and she, like, yelled at me and told me I had to pay. And so I just drove in. And, um... (laughs) Which was really stupid. And uh, so immediately I got pulled over. And I was, like, dead to rights. Obviously I had just driven in. And I get this, like, brutal ticket. And uh, so, anyway, so I went to to court in Hilton Head. And um, my thought was, like... If I just show up, maybe he won't show up, like the cop, maybe the, you know, sometimes the cop doesn't show up, you don't have to, I don't know, maybe that's a myth, and, um, but the cop was there, and he was there before me, and um, I remember talking to the judge, and she was like, tell me what happened, and I told her, and, um, and uh, she was like, how do you plead, and I was like, I plead guilty, I mean, I did the thing, but like, I'm just kind of like falling on you for grace, like, maybe you can reduce it, or whatever, And uh, she's like, "Well, you'll hear your you'll hear your uh, verdict in the mail, you know, like next case, whatever." So, like a week later, I got a envelope in the mail, and it was from the Buford County, you know, clerk of you know courts or whatever. And I opened it up, and it said, "You pled not guilty. You were found not guilty." And it was awesome. Um, The judge literally changed my plea. And what Jesus does is he comes and he has you dead to rights. And he switches your verdict with his verdict and he gives it to you for free. Y'all really struggle to forgive people. I know because I talked to you about your roommate. And and I love talking to you about your roommate. And please never stop talking to me about your roommate. Um, But you struggle to forgive your roommate. They drive you insane. And I wonder if you struggle to forgive your roommate because you don't actually believe that God is for you. Um, You think that God demands that you feel bad enough before he's merciful to you. So you demand that your roommate feel bad enough and show contrition before you are merciful to them. How you treat that person that lives in your house is directly correlated to what you think God thinks about you. You think that you have to take some steps in the right direction. I don't know why it's I need to pray and read my Bible more, but that's what it so often is when I talk to you. You think you have to take some steps in the right direction for God to love and accept and and show mercy on you. So you demand that your sister or your parents or your boyfriend or girlfriend or your roommate take steps in the right direction before you're merciful to them. And that is not grace. That is earning it. And if there's one thing the gospel is against, it's you earning it. Um, I I, I wonder, um, yeah, I wonder where that comes from. But David is saying to God, God be gracious to me. Not because he's asking God to change. He's asking God to be himself. Um, Did you know that God is merciful and kind? Are you afraid to believe in God's grace when you screw up? Um, So the reality of guilt, the response of repentance, turning to God and seeing him as he really is as merciful. And that gives us freedom. Two things. Forgiveness gives us freedom to forgive other people. And to exercise forgiveness to other people. Look in the passage there. It says in verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Um, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian or maybe you are, and you're just not familiar with Christian circles, I want to apologize because one of our worst impulses as Christians is to really be angry at other people because they sin. Um, this is the thing that, that I do it. Okay. But it drives me the craziest about ourselves is that we spend time with our roommate and they're rude to us. And we're like, what's wrong with them? Why don't they just stop being rude?" It's like, you're mad at them for being a sinner. Uh, it's like, of course they're a sinner. Like, what do you expect them to be? Um, turning to God and finding that he gives grace frees us to love messed up people because you're admitting I'm messed up and I'm in need. And so I can extend grace and forgiveness. He says, I will teach transgressors your ways. You've got to stop demanding that other people get it together. Because really you only want other people to get it together so that your life will be easier. Not so that they'll be happier, so that you'll be happier. That's why you want your roommate to start doing the dishes more, start treating you a different way. It's because you want to be happier and more convenienced. Not because you care about their spiritual health. Can we stop demanding that people get it together and instead just admit what it really is? I'm a beggar showing another beggar. Or they can find bread. So the forgiveness of sins frees us to extend forgiveness. And the forgiveness of sins frees us to be broken. This is the last thing. Um, Look at the very end of the passage there. Verse 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Um, God commands sacrifice. Okay, He commands for us to live in a certain way. But God is way less concerned with the outward thing than you think he is. He's, he, what he wants is for the outward sign to reflect something that's going on inside. And if it's not going on inside, he doesn't want it. If you come to RUF or you go to church or you read your Bible or you do whatever Christian activity because you think at the end of it God owes you something, you're totally missing it. God owes you nothing. Nothing. But he gives in his grace. And what God wants from us is in verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. The other day I was looking at that with Rose Rudder. I'm not sure she's here. But um, this name dropped her anyway. And uh, she said, I really like that. And I said, why do you really like that? Like, why would you like being broken hearted? And she said, if I didn't have a broken spirit... I wouldn't think that I needed God. And what could be worse than thinking that you don't need God? There is no more lost moment than thinking that you don't need God. Once we are broken and contrite to come to God and say, I'm dependent on you. We don't like to be dependent on anybody. You guys are just like bucking against being dependent on your parents. And then when they don't give you money, like you're whining about it. God cares about your sacrifice, but only if your heart is in it. And what David is showing us is to be a person after God's own heart doesn't mean that you've fixed your behavior, doesn't mean that you're performing better. David was a man after God's own heart because he was a sinner desperately clinging to God for grace. Do you want to change? Do you want your life to change? There are no resources out of full dependence on God's grace that are going to change you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and mercy and peace to us in Christ. You give a gift. You won't sell it. You won't let us earn it because we can't. You give it to us as a gift. And Father, we need to rely on you. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name.